What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, plan for today. No figuring it out. We, we are instead going to be joined in a little bit by Matt Berry. Talk about some college football things, including Jaden Daniels, new LSU quarterback. And Adam Spencer is going to join us to preview the NCAA tournament. Talk a lot of SEC teams in there, some Cinderella stuff, all the good stuff with Adam. But Will... Man, we were due to get cold taked by an SEC coach. <laughs> we were so due. It had been, I don't know, like three months since we had been really cold taked by an SEC coaching decision. And boy, don't you know it, what we said on the most recent pod went up in smoke almost immediately, like within 24 hours, uh, 36 hours. We'll say within 36 hours. Will Wade is out at LSU seven level one violations for the basketball program, five of which were directly tied to Wade. Adios to the American gangster. LSU did what few thought it would ever do, us included, definitely right. us included. I was stunned with the way that it played out. My, my initial thought was, and I think I texted you this, how bad, it could it, how bad could it have been for Will Wade? Pretty bad. <laughs> Pretty bad is the answer to that question. Pretty yeah. bad. This was as bad as almost was possible. And like whenever the text came out with like him trying to pay a former player's fiance through his personal Hush account, money. that's like, yeah, that's like, you know, you just didn't watch The Sopranos, dude. You can't live the type of life that you live if you try to do that type of stuff. Like, that's what bag men are for. So like we kind of, you know, LSU fans certainly, probably not anyone else, but we're sympathetic towards Will Weed because we thought it was just paying players. But once you get to that level, it's like, you gotta get up out of here, dude. Like, I can't defend that. Yeah, the joint account with, with him and his wife, probably not the best look. I always think that's that's the key in all of this. If you're gonna be so just egregious and uh, you're not even gonna try and cover your tracks, you're pretty much just asking to get popped. And, you know, NCAA sort of called LSU's bluff and went in depth with it. And we find out that Will Wade is indeed going to be uh, that, he, that he was indeed canned at LSU for all these different violations. And we are looking at SEC basketball in a different way. And this kind of speaks to a bigger picture issue that we saw play out over the weekend. I promise I'll, I'll kind of tie it all to, to LSU and whatnot. But I think that this weekend showed you exactly why the SEC's quest for basketball relevance continues. It's an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. The SEC is very, very desperate for basketball relevance. And I don't blame it one bit. I mean, think about all the things we saw play out related to SEC basketball over the weekend. Let's start with the coaching turnover that we just talked about there with Will Wade, fired for cheating and trying to maintain relevance for a program that historically, like we said the other day, has struggled with that. A program desperate to succeed sort of sold its soul to the devil and now will face the consequences, which has happened plenty of times when it comes to SEC and basketball, places like Alabama, Florida, more recently with Auburn, of course. Kind of a tale as, told as, as old as time here. We also see the other coaching turnover and why this speaks to the, the desperate need for basketball relevance. Georgia poached Mike White from Florida to replace Tom Crean. Oh my goodness. Po Florida bro. fans. Literally. Florida fans, don't get upset with me saying poached. Don't get upset with me. I, I said it in air quotes. <laughs> I said it in air quotes. You couldn't see me do it, but I promise I did. That that tweet came across my feed, and I was like, I missed the tweet where Mike White got right? fired. And like several people were like, he didn't. I was laughing so hard, bro. I, I, I had to check that repeatedly to see, gotta be a fake account. 
did Rothstein get hacked or something like this? I mean, everybody's getting hacked left and right. I feel really bad for all, all of the blue checks out there who got hacked and lost their account for like four hours or whatever. Not that I'm bitter or anything after losing my account for three months. <laughs> we don't know any of those people. Yeah. We don't know any of those people who had Couldn't that happen. Couldn't be me. But yeah, I, I was checking that tweet like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, this is for real, that actually happened. What a wild thing that is to kind of think about and the nature of that rivalry, which you know, different story with basketball as it relates to you know, football, of course, but still just bananas. And, and the fact that Florida got to save 8 million bucks on a coach that they clearly weren't satisfied with, at least the fan base clearly wasn't satisfied with him. It would have been interesting to see if Scott Strickland would have fired him. One would have thought that if they really wanted to keep Mike White, they would have found a way to prevent him from leaving for Georgia, but we'll call it what it is. Poached is the very loose verb that we will use for what Georgia just did. Mizzou fires Quanzo Martin. South Carolina, right before we hopped on this call, fired Frank Martin. So that's another significant blow. Yeah, like we, we can't even keep up with all this stuff right now. <laughs> it appears that Ben Holland is going to be out at Mississippi State. I know our guy Glenn Gilbo reported that for OutKick. And then it was kind of walked back like, ah, no, he's going to be coached with the program through the NIT. We'll kind of wait and see how all that plays out. TBD on that. Mm -hmm. And then there was talk that Mike White could have actually replaced Kermit Davis at Ole Miss. TBD on Davis's future as well. I mean, moves all over the place in the SEC. Y'all need to relax, bro. People need to have realistic expectations for the basketball program. Like, that's the problem with these ADs is they really think this is football. And it's like, dog, like, what could you realistically expect at Ole Miss and Mississippi State for basketball? Like, is this not pretty much what you thought was? Because not everybody can win the SEC, dude. That's the problem. I understand everybody has to look out for their own interests. But at the end of the day, it's like, how are we going to keep hiring and firing these big-name coaches in basketball, bro? But it's kind of the model that has allowed, in my opinion, the SEC to achieve a certain level of success on the football field. I mean, that's you're not wrong. It's a, you know, if the, if, the, if the competition level is there to where that's unsatisfactory, you're going to win eventually if you keep trying. Yeah, on a micro level, we talked about that with Auburn and why Auburn has been rewarded for having this policy when it comes to, to head coaches. And then you kind of take a step back and you realize that those three coaches that had very wild, bizarre circumstances surrounding their exits or initial exits, what appeared to be, and then you kind of realize, well, all of them were on the brink of a national championship. And yeah, this, this whole thing lends itself to a bit of craziness. And it appears that SEC basketball is heading in that direction because it is desperate to be relevant. Florida, mm -hmm. I would expect Florida to make a major, major splash to fill that vacancy. What an attractive job that is, especially with the resources mm -hmm. available. I would fully expect at LSU, Scott Woodward, um, sanctions? He's, he's gonna look at sanctions <laughs> and just laugh in the face of them and say, who cares? I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna swing for the fences again. This is the guy, again, he makes bigger splashes than Ham Porter, okay? This is what he does. It's not gonna get in his way that he's gotta deal with NCAA turmoil or anything like that. He's gonna show up like the guy in the, what's the uh, uh, the sweepstakes, uh, the sweepstakes where they show up on your doorstep with a big giant check. and. It, Publishers yes, house. yes, yes. He's going to be that guy. And even though the person who accepts that check mm -hmm. knows that there's taxes and there are different things associated with that, and it gets a little bit hairy, and it's not as simple as just accepting a big pile of money, it's still really attractive when somebody steps up on your door and has a giant check waiting for you. And I expect Scott Woodward to give someone similar treatment in terms of filling that vacancy. Okay. That's got to be that's got to be one of the most interesting coaching sources because I mean Scott Woodward is kind of he's got big names you know what I'm saying it's hard to judge everybody so far 
But, you know, he was kind of chomping at the bit to kind of get this Will Wade thing over with and distance himself from Oliva. And at the same time, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would do, I don't know, I've been wrong all up and down this, but he doesn't seem the kind of guy who would do the the sacrificial lamb, like, let's hire this no-name guy, let him write out the sanctions. Like, he feels like he can probably get anybody based on how things have gone for him so far. So, yeah, it's LSU in Florida, yet again, locked in the... Search for the, for the same bullet coach. I'm afraid to say the words, would LSU hire Sean Miller? Because the, the, <laughs> the Beetlejuice scenario that we have just created by getting cold taked so badly last week, I, I mm-hmm. fear that that will, that will again show up and we could see Sean Miller as the next LSU head coach by the time we get up. No, that's not happening. I don't think at least. I texted you joking, we we're gonna hire Sean Miller, and an article dropped five minutes later that said LSU was looking at Archie Miller. I was like, no, go back, I'm gonna stop talking now. Dude, Reggie oh. Miller would be a better hire than Archie Miller. <laughs> Anyways, significant coaching turnover within a conference is the byproduct of not accepting the status quo. That's why we see so much of it in SEC football. SEC basketball is attempting to get on that level in every single way. Now, get to it in a minute why that's a little bit more difficult in basketball than football but the numbers certainly back that up usa today did this story on spending in sec basketball and how much that's beginning to rival what we see with football in the sec this past year 12 public school universities where contracts are public information had basketball coaches making at least three million dollars annually that's the most of any conference the big 12 the pac-12 the acc have a combined 14 basketball coaches making at least three million dollars annually that money is there because of the TV deals. Yes, football is still king in the SEC. Basketball, it's like Prince, you know? And mm-hmm. Prince is in like the era parent, not like RIP, you know, the late Prince. I don't know why I had to clarify that, but whatever the case, spending reflects that. And quite frankly, it should, you know, it's the number two revenue sport in terms of college athletics. Recruiting is more national than ever. So obviously it's prioritized, but money doesn't cure everything. Not everything with basketball. The SEC is still trying to change its reputation, and we were reminded of that over the weekend. AM, perfect example. I couldn't believe that the Aggies got left out of the field. Absolutely shocked to see AM make that deep of a run in the SEC tournament after it came into the SEC tournament on the bubble as one of those uh, next four out type of teams. And still, after beating Auburn, and I thought pretty convincingly, and Auburn rallied back in that game, but still beat Auburn and then beat the brakes off of Arkansas. Still get told, mm-hmm. thanks, no thanks, you're not good enough. Your resume, even though it's better than Notre Dame and Rutgers, it's not quite what we're looking for here. Clearly, Buzz Williams was very pissed off not to be ranked in my top five basketball football coach combos. That looked bad in a hurry. Speaking of getting cold taked, oh, that was really rough to have to sit there and watch him just dial up these new ways to outcoach Bruce Pearl and then outcoach Eric Musselman. Mm -hmm. Very, very impressive. He made me look like an absolute idiot for that. Well, it's easy. Now Will Wade's gone, so we just slide the list up. Exactly. You know what? Good point. We we did at least talk about A&M as a potential fit for that number five spot that went to Tennessee. So I feel like we covered our tracks a little bit there. No, I, I, I did feel bad by the end of the weekend for doubting Buzz Williams and his ability to coach. Anyway, A&M getting left out, Tennessee not getting a two seat in the NCAA tournament. It made it feel like the selection committee did not care at all about the SEC tournament. 
Like they basically had their mind made up and nothing that happened in Tampa was gonna change it. Think about it. If AM punted on going to the SEC tournament, maybe COVID outbreak or something like that, or flat tire on the, I don't know, plane issues getting down, God forbid, I don't know why I had to go that way, that dark, but whatever the case, if AM had just not shown up for the SEC tournament, probably really close to that first four out group that it ultimately finished in. If, if Tennessee, same thing, Tennessee doesn't show up to the SEC tournament, probably a two seed, right? If both of those things still happen, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that Tennessee looked really good against Kentucky. It didn't matter that Tennessee cooled off a red hot A&M team and won an SEC championship for the first time since when? Jimmy Carter administration. Oh, let's yes, go. Yes, exactly. Never mind the increased spending on coaches or the fact that the SEC got six teams into the NCAA tournament for the sixth consecutive year for the first time since it did that 1999-2004. That side-by-side -side of Tennessee and Duke in the NCAA team sheet ranks that I saw from Matt, Matt and Orlando was bad, bad. And you're kind of reminded, Tennessee hasn't quite been there. Duke has been there. But then you sort of think about it and you realize I could see a way in which the SEC doesn't really have that level of respect yet. They haven't had a one seed in seven years. Haven't had a national championship participant in eight years. Haven't had a non-Kentucky team make the national championship since 2007. Back-to-back -back years for Florida. That's ironic considering <laughs> We in the SEC often like to give the jab to Big Ten fans about being Ohio State and everyone else in football. Mm -hmm. There was 2019 Auburn, who was a missed double dribble from reaching the title game, so I don't really know how much that logic applies. And South Carolina got to a Final Four in 2017, so it's not exactly like it's been Kentucky and everyone else, but there's still a little bit of that. At least it feels like it. It's interesting, though, but like you look at all these different factors and you would still say, well, we're seeing that, that other teams besides Kentucky are stepping up. Kentucky hasn't won the SEC tournament in four years, which is the longest drought that they've had since they started doing the SEC tournament again, right smack dab in the middle of the Jimmy Carter administration. Of course. Wow. Okay. So Tennessee, as we talked about with Jimmy Carter administration, first conference title since 1979, playing absurdly well in the latter half of the season, they beat Arizona when they weren't at their peak too. I mean, th that win should have carried more weight, in my opinion, in terms of the seeding. Yet, if the Vols don't make a run to the Final Four, some will say that it justified what the selection committee did by basically ignoring the SEC tournament. And I hate that. I really don't like that. We also shouldn't play the results of Rutgers, Notre Dame, and pretend that they were more deserving of A&M if indeed one of those two teams makes a run to the round of 32. It doesn't change the fact that AM got screwed, and honestly, so did Tennessee, in my opinion. Calipari banged the drum for the SEC to push up its conference championship to Saturday. And honestly, I think he's right. I think the evidence shows us that it makes a lot of sense because we've seen the SEC and the Big Ten both have repeated instances of their conference title game, which those are the only two power five leagues who play that title game on a Sunday. We've seen them not necessarily get recognized by the selection committee. And as much as we can say the Big Ten, bas Big Ten basketball continues to be overrated with all these teams that they get in the field, they got nine teams in the field this year, it is always a bit of a surprise to feel like we watch the Big Ten champ 
you know, still wearing those championship t-shirts on selection Sunday when they zoom in and they're like celebrating, they've got, you know, they're holding up the trophy and everything. They always seem to get that underwhelming seat. Given the lack of success that the Big Ten has had in the NCAA tournament, and really the lack of success that the SEC has had in the NCAA tournament, maybe there's something to be said for moving that championship game to Saturday. And for giving those guys another day of rest, maybe the selection committee kind of values it in a different sort of way, whatever the case. It's weird because basketball gaining relevance in the SEC, at least from a national perspective, it's just a lot different than football. It really, really is. And I think part of that is because how random this sport can truly be. Here's the breakdown of national titles in the last 15 seasons. So that's from 2006 to 2021, with 2020 excluded there. The breakdown, national titles last 15 seasons in college basketball by conference. The ACC's got five, the Big East has four, the SEC has three, the Big 12 has two, the AAC has one, and go figure, this year, the entire narrative is that the ACC is the worst Power Five conference with one overrated Duke team at the top and really not a whole lot else to be excited about. Compare that to football. National titles last 15 years. Here's the breakdown by conference, 2007 to 2021. SEC's got 11. Much funnier, Charlie. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Just I'm laughing at, at this. Go on. Yeah, the SEC's got 11 of them. Uh, the ACC has three, and the Big Ten's got one. That's it. That's all she wrote. You would look at that formula and say, well, what is the SEC's code to dominance? What's, what's the path? What does the blueprint look like? I disagree with Joel Klatt that cheaper air conditioning prices have led to the SEC dominating college football. <laughs> that was a real that was thing a real that happened. Thing. Man, that was a real, oh God. Seriously, go listen to him say that on Ryan Rosillo podcasts and you will just sit there and go, wait a minute, is everybody losing their minds? I think they might be. They might just I be. I think his AC was broken and his brain was just kind of melting and that's all he could think about. It might have been, man. That was a rough one. I'd say more spending, better facilities, having a built-in recruiting base in the South and a higher standard for coaches is probably a bigger part of that than air conditioning. I don't think you can quite replicate that in college basketball because of the randomness within the game, three-point line, the evolution of the transfer portal and why it's a different kind of access for power five basketball, right? Like it's, it's, it's just different to, to kind of get to that level of success. And we've seen teams flip the switch a little bit easier in college basketball than we have in college football. But the SEC, make no mistake about it, is trying to copy the football formula with basketball. It should be, it has the money to do it. Still though, as much as some talked about how going nine and nine in SEC play should be considered a positive and not a negative, Clearly not everyone sees it that way. Instead, we've got 17 and 14 Michigan making the field. Uh, Iowa State was seven and 11 in conference play, made the field. Xavier, who was eight and 11 in the Big East with an 18 and 13 record. Up until that final day, people were saying, Xavier, put them in the field. They're better than A&M. That's what Joe Lenardi was saying. Mm -hmm. Some might say that it's wrong to make this a macro issue and that it's more a micro issue that should be probably be focused on A&M just getting screwed over here. But if the Aggies came from this gauntlet of a conference or if they were you know, blue blood, 
I have zero doubt that they would have made the field. I mean, zero. Imagine if Kansas, UNC, or Duke, Kentucky, whoever, if they were sitting there with 23 wins having played in its conference tournament championship, imagine having those teams be told by the selection committee, thanks, but no thanks. That would never happen. It just wouldn't. And so A&M fans are left feeling like they did 2020 when the playoff announcement came and they were told, that they weren't good enough. And Notre Dame, despite yep. its horrendous conference championship showing, that, that didn't matter. And peaking at the right time really wasn't the deal breaker that some, myself included, thought that it should be. It's kind of nice to see some bark from AM fans who, look, they were heard loud and clear this weekend. They should have been. They, they should be pissed off that they got left out because while I don't think this was some case where decision makers in college athletics just hate A&M for some random reason, I do feel like these decision makers overlooked their resume and they weren't willing to, to reconsider the full body of work for a team who was clearly one of the best teams in the country over the course of the last month. I don't know if it's up to the SEC to get A&M the benefit of the doubt in these spots. And I also don't know if it's fair to say that turning things around in March is the difference because look at the Big Ten. Big Ten just got nine teams into the field, three of which, Michigan, Rutgers, my Indiana Hoosiers, they were all very borderlined, no doubt about it. Big Ten, however, hasn't won a national title since 2000. It's crazy to think about, it's 22 years. Mm -hmm yet it continues to get the benefit of the doubt in these spots. I mean, repeatedly in terms of depth. Now, I think, like I said before, with the conference champion, that's maybe a little bit of a different discussion. I think they tend to get a little bit underseated, but just in terms of the amount of teams that they get in the field, it seems like, man, every single year we're talking about the Big Ten's depth and it just does not show up in March. Maybe that's partially also because uh, the Big Ten had eight teams make the title game in the 21st century, the last seven of which lost. Maybe that has something to do with the Big Ten. Continue to get love. Hey, some, th some things are the same across football and basketball. Look at that. <laughs> at least the Big Ten basketball has different teams making the title game. And it's not just Ohio State, though. That's where I'd say the, big, yeah. the biggest difference is. I don't know, though. What I do know is that the SEC is still fighting to get the benefit of the doubt in basketball. But I think the approach is probably what it should be. And as crazy as it seems that we're apparently heading in a direction with these coaches where the leash is going to be shorter than ever, I kind of think there's something to be said for that. I, I really do. I, I don't think it ever plays out like we saw in football where we see the SEC rattle off this run of dominance and we see seven national championships in a row or something like that. Like, I don't expect that to happen and that shouldn't be the goal or the standard, the expectation or anything, but I think the SEC is gonna help itself if it can start putting it together a little bit in March. Will, any thoughts on all of that and the SEC's continued um, desire to be respected in basketball? That's probably the biggest thing is, that, is they want and command that mm -hmm. respect. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think it all comes down to consistency. Um, I love, you know, the juxtaposition of football and basketball here. You know me, I always like to go very thousand foot on stuff like this. And it's interesting, man. You know, there are obviously some similarities uh, between basketball and football, which is that ultimately, you know, you can your team can play really well and it's left up to a group of boomers who have biases against your teams, right? It, there's nothing you can do about that. We can yell and scream about all these things that are empirical that should be obvious, and yet there's always going to be one or two or five teams that you're just like, how did we get here? And, you know, that's kind of the downside of human error. And I think the more and more that we kind of go to these committee style approaches, obviously it's not a new thing for the, for the March Madness bracket. I know that, but it's just going to happen. Um, but the thing that I would like to focus on is that, 
you know, the SEC, as we've talked about, seems to get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to football, right? There are some teams that, you know, get the benefit of the doubt, uh, at least of being ranked, at least of getting in sometimes, and, and kind of the perception nationally, whereas other conference fans would look at the SEC and, you know, cry over it, all this different stuff. Now, like you said, it's a little bit harder to say that when they've won 11 of the last 15 championships. Um, but on the other side, it almost feels like there's backlash against SEC football. feels like these conferences, you know, it's, it's kind of well-known. I'm not a conspiracy theorist when I say ESPN has a fixation with the ACC. They long have, as long as I can remember, right, they have a lot of former Duke, UNC, uh, even like Virginia guys that are on air that are kind of influencing that narrative. And I think that when it comes to sports talk, um, your implicit biases just are. You know, people that fight their whole lives to not be biased, I think, are ultimately selling themselves short because a lot of the times those things make people who they are. So, you know, you can fight it, but that's how it is. So point being, I think that there's been so much disdain in the national landscape for the SEC continuing to get two teams in the college football playoff, continuing to have these big budgets, to steal coaches, to do all these things in the number one revenue sport, that I think that basketball is almost starting to get a little bit of pushback where it's like, okay, well, that's not going to work here. And I think that, as you said, it's pretty much, un, you know, you can't stop it uh, because once the money is there, the wins, the um, attention, all of that will follow. And so that now that the SEC teams, like so many of these schools have kind of awakened sleeping giants, um, I think that they could be right there with some of these conferences, especially as you talked about, you know, some of these national powers are kind of going through transitions and stuff like that. So I would just say from a, pan, a fan perspective, you know, while we can sit here and be, be mad at that stuff, I would flip around and say, okay, well now you see what other conferences, other fan bases go through with football, right? It's, it's how these fans feel whenever we're saying, okay, well, get over it. And so I, I feel like it's kind of wild, you know, just imagine yourself in someone else's shoes is all I'm saying here. So I do think it's coming. I think that it, it's not any type of homerism to say that when the SEC puts their mind to something, it we've even seen it in baseball, softball, gymnastics, track and field, when the SEC puts their mind to something, they tend to get what they want. and. And basketball, it seems like that's the next up. So it's probably going to take a couple of years for that clout to start to happen, especially against these blue bloods. But yeah, I, I think that the sky's the limit for the future of SC basketball. Hugh Kellenberger had a great point. Um, and something that I've, I've kind of wondered about if my, if my entire perception of this was just different because I, I didn't necessarily grow up watching SEC basketball in the regular season in the same way that a lot of people listening to this podcast did. But he made the point of how he remembers just some some really bad basketball in the SEC. Oh in 20, yeah! Oh like yeah, dude! But, oh yeah! I mean, think think about the way that it changed because it's not just the Cal thing. And I know we associate mm -hmm. with with football why the sport took that next step upon Saban's arrival. And don't get me wrong, like there's there's something to be said for the way that Cal sort of elevated the standard of SEC basketball. But the point that he brought up was. Think about Eric Musselman, think about Bruce Pearl and Nate Oates. Places mm -hmm. where, man, they were starved. They were really, really starved for, for, for relevance, for having something to complement their football fandom because that passion is there. And we've seen that, look, when they get going, they are fun to watch. It's not gonna be one of these programs where they start to win these games and you have to convince the fans to care. I mean, they absolutely mm -hmm. care. And that's not, a, that's not a given, it really isn't. I mean, it's just not an overnight thing to be able to, 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 be able to get that with a coaching change. And so now I think we're gonna see a lot of these SEC programs kind of follow that model. 
and hope that they can find their version of Musselman, find their version of Oats, their version of Pearl. And mm-hmm. I, I think that we're gonna see so many more high profile SEC basketball coaches. And maybe this coaching cycle is, is kind of the first, um, the first iteration of that. And that's going to be the new standard moving forward. But I do think that's just kind of where it all starts. And you judge a conference based on coaches. We judge the ACC mm-hmm. through that lens because of Kay, because of Roy Williams. And there's a reason why they have this respect and this understood of, oh, even if they go through this rough, rough patch or even if they have double digit losses, why we give them the benefit of the doubt. And the SEC is still working to get that beyond just Kentucky. And I think that's what trying to, to get these coaches and get these coaches to stay and not leave for other jobs. That is such a huge, huge part of that that I think will be established in the 2020s. All right, let's kick into our interviews. First, our guy, Matt Berry, is gonna break down LSU's new quarterback, Jaden Daniels, and some other things in the sport. And then Adam Spencer is gonna help make sense of the SEC teams in the NCAA tournament. It's gonna help you fill out your bracket. So first, Matt, then Adam. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our good friend, Matt Barry. Matt, congratulations are in order. The new deal, stay at ESPN. It is signed, signed, sealed, delivered, the whole thing. You're still going to be on our TV a whole lot, like pretty much every time we flip on a TV <laughs> in the fall. Um, and then a lot more, of course, Sports Center, the golf coverage. You are continuing all of your same roles with ESPN. When you and, and your agent negotiated a deal, I got to imagine that besides like, you know, the compensation, whatever, all that stuff, you had to have negotiated some perks into that deal. Like when you go cover the masters, you get your first pick of the bedrooms that you guys get at like the Airbnb or something like that. Yeah. First of all, Connor, good talking to you again. Love, love coming on with you. And it's funny you bring that up because my, my golfing buddy and podcasting mate, uh, Michael Collins, the caddy, uh, he and I are sharing a house. Eves is in the house as well. So the bedroom lottery is big when you get to the masters. Oh, typically, I know. The first person that gets there typically bogards the master bedroom with the attached bathroom. So that's, that's kind of my first bit of drama, uh, with the new contract is, is once, once I get to Augusta, who gets the best room. You could have also done the bill Polian thing where you get to go through the ESPN cafeteria and just take whatever you want for free. Do you think it's anything like that? Well, you know, cafe has been closed for a while because of COVID it's been weird. It's not the, it's open for business, but the ESPN calf, we always joke about it was one of the great places to hang out because it was, it was like a busy restaurant during rush hour every single day. We haven't had that now for two years. And so me being able to just pick pick what I want wasn't on the table. We got some good, uh, you know, maybe they'll let me wear a green jacket on master Sunday. Who, who knows mm. what the, uh, just the fact that I got the, the new deal. I'm going to be back at ESPN. We, we had some fun with some other stuff, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Have you ever had a starstruck moment in the ESPN cafeteria where like, you know, Tom Cruise is doing the car wash and he walks in to grab a smoothie or something like that. As you're just sitting there eating like a club sandwich and you're, Oh yeah, it's pretty cool to work here. So it, it you know, I, I was starstruck a couple of times. I, I forget the years now, 2015, 2016. I don't remember what it was. Um, one of them, I did a interview with Robert De Niro was on campus. And ah, so they sat that's down. Sick. Yeah. It, they, they sat him down right in the middle of like, we didn't get to take a commercial break. There was something going on with breaking news in baseball. I forget what it was. And so I'm sitting so then out of the corner of my eye, because we typically when you when you're 
you have someone of that stature, just any guest really that comes into studios is pre COVID, obviously. Um, you know, they like to do it during a commercial break, sit them down, introduce yourself, kind of loosen them up a little bit. And uh, because of breaking news or whatnot, I didn't get that opportunity to introduce myself to Robert De Niro before I interview him. <laughs> and so they just sit him down right in the middle, right in the middle of me reading some, some video as uh, some voiceover. And he sits down right next to me. I'm like, Oh my God, that's Robert De Niro. So I got starstruck at first Then I had to snap out of it. Cause I was getting ready to interview him 30 seconds later between that one and doing David Letterman's first television interview after retirement Whoa. is probably as starstruck as I've ever been there. The De Niro thing, I would just be looking over my shoulder the entire time. Like, am I about to get whacked? I've seen Goodfellas. I know how smooth he is. Casino, all of them. I, I, the, the sweat would not be starstruck with De Niro. That's one of the very few where I've seen enough of his characters to know how he gets down. Like, that's yeah, just but- terror. But then he's 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 meet the parents guy, you know, like that, that's what makes him so great. You don't know what role you see when he walks in because it's Robert De Niro in an older in an older De Niro. You're going more meet the Fockers and meet the parents in that route. Whereas if this was 15, 20 years ago, the younger De Niro, I'm with you. You're going Goodfellas. You're going Casino. You're like, what is this guy capable of? Uh, when he sits down next to it, it it was, it was a moment I'll never forget. I've got great pictures of it. Um, and it was just so much fun. Dude, meet the Fockers promos on at Disney, uh, Disney airwaves. God, oh man, that would be, (laughs) it's a tricky road staff to navigate through. (laughs) Unbelievable. Uh, was there, was there ever any doubt about leaving ESPN? Because I got to imagine a network like CBS, NBC, they would love to acquire somebody with your skill set with your areas of expertise in football and in golf. Yeah. You know, it, it was, there are a lot of networks out there that, that, that you just hit on it, that, that do the golf um, regularly, you know, more than ESPN for that matter. We've got the two major championships and the masters and the PGA championship. Uh, we do a lot of coverage on ESPN plus now, which is done through PGA tour entertainment. And there are networks out there that do more than just the two. Um, and, and golf is a passion of mine. And then when you look at it, and when you get right down to it, 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 if you love college football, which I do as much as anybody, if not more than anybody, the ESPN is still the place to be. Um, there, there's so much good uh, stuff during the week. It also, too, Connor, like, you know, it allows me to call games. Yeah. I love calling Thursday night football. I love it. Um, and to find an, an, a package with, with play-by-play for college football, being able to host studio college football with Jesse and Joey and then throw in the golf major championships. It was, um, of course you look, I mean, of course you look around to see what's out there, but at the end of the day, I think ESPN, when, when it came down to it, still checked all the boxes for everything that I love. I remember uh, when you came on in December and you talked about that new challenge getting called play by play. Like I've yeah. never, never done it before. It's kind of cool to, to be out there doing all these games. And you made that transition back in 2018 and to get to do bowl games and all those different things. You're right. You want to do a lot of stuff. It sounds like, and if there was ever a time to renegotiate what you're doing for ESPN now would have been it. And instead of being a guy that's going to take all these things off your plate and just get laser focused into like one or two things. Right. Like, no, 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 no. I still want to be able to do all these four, you know, four or five different things that I got going on here. Like, did you ever have any thought process of like wanting to change kind of your day to day with all that? You know, during football season, it's a lot. Um, 
I mean, during football, I'm doing at least this past season, 21, I was doing four days of sports center a week. So I was doing a full-time sports center schedule. I was calling Thursday night college football. Then I was doing studio on Friday and then all day Saturday. And so you're doing three jobs in at, at once at the busiest time of year. You got to find time. Like when's a great time to prep from, for my game. I've got coaching zooms. I've got to talk to the coaching staffs. Then, Oh, by the way, yeah, you've got sports center that same day. And so Thursdays and Fridays, I was doubling up. I was doing Thursday noon sports center, calling the game later that night, coming back on Friday to do sports center at noon, and then going back and doing studio that night and then studio all day Saturday. And so it's an adrenaline rush. I mean, towards the end of the year, I'd say about mid October, you start feeling it, but it's a good thing to be busy. I mean, being busy is, is during football season is what we all got into this for. Um, and then this time of year, you know what it is, Connor. It's right now. I'm kind of on sports center autopilot. Um, I'm calling a couple of spring games in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so I'll have that to, to look forward to. And so between sports center, a couple of spring games that I'll be calling and then getting ready for Augusta, it, it, it slows down enough after the season to where you don't really need to ask off much. Um, because you're having so much fun doing what you're doing. And then this time of year, it's a, li- it's a little less crazy. That's what I always say to people is like, that's kind of the beauty of, of doing college football is that for, for four months of the year, four or five months, it's, it's crazy. It's nonstop. Like, sorry, we're not going to be hanging out on, on a Saturday or Sunday. It's just right. not going to happen. But like the rest of the year, it does kind of slow down into a mode where for the most part, you can kind of catch your bearings a little bit and then you get ramped up again. And that's the unique thing about it. If it was like, eight or nine months like that, that'd be a totally different story. That'd be unsustainable. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I've been wondering about this as I've been, you know, watching the season of the bachelor, but, uh, true or false, you signed your new deal with ESPN to fend off any possibility of new bachelor host, Jesse, Jesse Palmer encroaching on your role as the main host of ESPN's college football coverage. Yeah. I don't know how many more jobs that dude can have. It's like, and <laughs> like, you're like, you're, you're baking stuff. You're just, surfing competition you're the bachelor you're doing all that i was like just leave the rest for us i I joke around about him all the time i joke with him all the time on saturdays i'd say okay now like we're gonna let the actual host host you just get in your analyst role and watch the pros do it um and so we we have fun with it and and jesse's a good sport about it i know they're getting ready to do the finale right now but he worked i think he missed this last year they were actually shooting the bachelor during football I was wondering about that. Yeah. I would joke around with him and, and they were actually shooting the bachelor during football season. So he had to miss a couple of Saturdays, but he'd be all over the world, come back in dog tired and still do a great job. So we, we make fun of him and have, have fun with him, but he works his butt off. And, and, and I, he's one of the smartest football people we have. That guy does more prep. He is so prepared. You'd think if he was handing out roses, he'd punt on football. I mean, the guy's damn good at what he does. And so hopefully I can fend him off from taking any other job that I want in the future. This might be weird for you to think about, but you're in the role that Reese Davis was before he took over in the college game day as a college game day host. When Fowler makes the move to go from game day to being like the premier play-by-play guy, it, Reese, I'm convinced, is just like 35 years old. So maybe it's weird to talk about him passing the torch to anyone, but would you want to be his college game day replacement one day if that position eventually came open? Oh, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, that that's a dream job. That That's a job, you know, you get into this industry for. Having said that, you nailed it. Reese isn't going anywhere. Yeah. Um, 
Reese is doing a he's he's taking the preeminent uh, college football show and taking the torch from Chris Fowler and has kept it at that same uh, high level uh, since he's been since he's been host and and he and and Kirk and 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 Chris or and Fowler and and those guys or not Fowler but Corso and Pollock and and Desmond those guys are so fun to watch. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it. If you love college football and you grew up watching the show like I did, and you're able to do football for ESPN and Reese, whenever that day might be, if he wants to come <laughs> up to me and say, "Hey, you know what? I was thinking about," I'd be like, you know what? Say no more. Uh, but I think Reese is the best in the business, and 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 he'll he'll be on that that show for for years to come. You wear many hats at ESPN, and that includes being an analyst, which you do a lot on the golf side as well. Um, LSU fans are wondering about Jaden Daniels. You are an Arizona State grad. You've got the unbelievable painting of Pat Tillman in the background. I wish everybody at home could see this. It's incredible. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Very, very cool. Um, You've watched plenty of Jaden Daniels throughout your career. It almost feels like West Coast Spencer Rattler with the way that things kind of ended, just bizarre, incredibly talented, obviously different circumstances, different surrounding circumstances as well. But what was your reaction to kind of seeing the bizarre locker room video? And then what was your reaction to seeing um, him transfer to LSU? So the locker room video was taken a little bit out of context. They were, I, I know, I know how it looked and how it sounded, but the equipment guys had been in the locker earlier, cleaning some of this stuff out and there was some stuff left over that hadn't been opened yet. So I think some of the guys are just trying to get some of the gear from what I've been told. Uh, I don't think it's a, I don't think it, it looked, I don't think they were moving him out um, and saying, Hey, get the hell out of here. We don't want you here anymore. So I think that video was taken a little bit out of context. Um, but in terms of Jaden leaving, I was, I was really surprised. I thought, you know, he had done that whole, movie trailer like video to announce that he was staying he and herm were always on a good had a good relationship herm put a lot of trust in him and you know that that's just kind of the the way it is in college football now having said that uh you know Jaden as a freshman stormed onto the college football scene and was was incredible and i think a lot of that was is because he's a very gifted athlete he's a damn good athlete and a good quarterback um but he also and he and he'll get this at LSU now, but when he was a freshman, he had Brandon Ayuk to throw to. Yeah. At that point, you just when you're a freshman, you're not really thinking. You're just letting your natural instincts take over. So when you throw a deep ball, everyone comes back to that Oregon game. Yeah, he just threw it up and let the speedster run under it, and that's 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 a smart quarterback. It's going to be a challenge for him at LSU because of how Brian Kelly operates with his quarterbacks, and Jaden is an all-world runner. When you needed a guy, he's clutch. When you need a guy to get you the seven yards, he'll tuck it and go get it. That's the problem is he knows that he can tuck it and go get it and move the change with his feet. The most interesting thing to me at LSU, is he going to be understand what Brian Kelly is trying to do? Hang on, we had a mic issue again, I think. <laughs> All good. Mike issues. This is this is the podcasting world. You actually left out podcasting duties as one of the million things that you do because, like, you host you host with Feinbaum, you host with Herbie, being yeah. able to to I'm to recap just, the weekend in college football. Stay, can right. you hear me fine here? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things that that'll be interesting to see if if Jaden can do can he do, execute the offense the way Brian Kelly likes it? Can he take 
three steps, plant the back foot, read one covered, read two covered. Can he check it down? Can he make the right first read and hit the guy over the middle? Those are things that remain to be seen. Because anybody who watched Arizona State football may not have been a lot of people. You didn't really see the progression with Jaden. He was a star as a freshman. He did some good things as a sophomore. There was the pandemic year that came down. And then last year, he just kind of, he, he never found it. And I think that's what was puzzling a lot of people at Arizona State. If he's coached up and he grasps what it is Brian Kelly's going to do, LSU got a hell of a quarterback. I mean, they really did. But I just don't know that I saw enough with him succeeding against Pac-12 defenses to make me believe that he can now go to the SEC West, which is the toughest division in all of sports, and play at a high level. There's a chance I'm wrong, Connor, but I, I, it's going to be it's going to be difficult. But LSU got themselves someone who could be a weapon. Counterpoint: He's got like three guys on his team that could be Brandon Ayuk, like Keishon Butte. Might yep. be like one of the two or three best receivers in college football. They got Besh, like they got Brian Thomas. They're, they, they are loaded, man. Like you talk about better surroundings and whether or not a kid can thrive. And if that's what makes the difference, do you kind of see that as the, the key difference for him and what, what, it, what could kind of take him to that next level? Or do you think he's going to be one of those guys who maybe, maybe could struggle with the transition in camp? And maybe we're talking about Miles Brennan being the starter instead of him. Look, Miles Brennan's been there. Miles Brennan knows Baton Rouge. He knows LSU. He knows the culture. The thing that evens this out for everybody, it's new coaching staff. So any loyalties prior to uh, Brian Kelly showing up, they're not there anymore. It's a new staff. We'll see how Jaden responds to competition. He never had to compete at ASU. He, he beat out Joey Yellen when he was a freshman. They both came in as four stars. He beat him out a little bit in camp. I think he was always going to be Herm's guy. So he never, he never had to compete to keep the job. We'll find out. The best way to find out about someone is when they compete. So if he goes into camp, Miles Brennan's there, spring ball, and they've got to figure out who he is as a player, you're going to know right away. And again, when this kid's clicking, I mean, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. I want to see it again. I really want to see peak Jaden Daniels because I think he's a special player. Just, I don't know. I mean, he's from California. He's going down to the South. We'll see how it all works out. But, man, if it clicks, look out. Would you be willing to bet your next – well, your, your new contract at ESPN on his name being called at next year's NFL draft? In what round? <laughs> Any I mean, round. <laughs> I, man, I don't know. Because all the NFL rumors came out about him. I'm like, man, this, this – no, he's not ready. Yeah. He's, just, he's not – I don't know. I – I, I want to be careful with it because I've seen enough of both the good and the bad yeah. to legitimately have no idea which one is the norm. You know, as a, as a freshman, we're like, this kid, this kid's going to take ASU to a Rose Bowl. This guy's electric. And then we never saw much of that again. And so you got to wait and you got to see. Um, but look, we've seen quarterbacks come out of nowhere before, right? They go to a new situation and they're just not really talked about in the preseason and bam, they hit and they're a household name. He does. He's got that ability to do that. As a member of the Alliance, can you just apologize to the college football world for nixing expansion? I, I don't know what the Alliance is. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what, it, like, 
I get so angry talking about some of this. I don't know what it is. No. We had a we had a bowl alliance way back when that led to the BCS that led to this. If someone can explain to me what this alliance, like just, just can we just play? Can we get rid of all the garbage and play? Expand the playoff. Tell me how that's not good for the sport. I, I'm so tired of it. If you can explain the alliance, I've got time. Do you know what it is? Um, I think it's, I, I'd have a tougher time explaining the Alliance than what an NFT is. I, I think at this point, oh, don't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all I know is NFTs. and it, it, when I, when I'm, I, I look at someone that's really into NFTs, I'm like, dude, like, what are we doing here? No, 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 no. I'm like, okay, ex- explain it. Like, what is it? Oh, it's this, but okay. But what is it? Peter Burns. We had him on. PB is a, a dear friend. Ask him to explain what NFTs are. Is he in uh, He's he's in the business. He's in the space, as we like to say. Is he really? He is in the space. Doing yes. What? He is in the space with the players lounge, working with former George quarterback Aaron Murray, which okay. nothing but good things to say about that. What Love they've been able yeah. to do, getting yeah. money back to the student athletes. That's what it's all about. He couldn't give me a full explanation of what an NFT is. Dick Butkus is in the NFT game. Everybody is. I think we might be the last two people who aren't. So we did a uh, we did a feature on Sports Center about NFTs, and <laughs> the way that I understood it, it's like a digital created thing that's just for you. Yeah. But they were using the Zion Williamson NFT as like a highlight, like it's your own highlight. I'm like, well, I can go YouTube that highlight. How is that? I don't know. But he, but you're talking to a guy that's on TikTok. Like I I'm just not. I don't know. I, I think I finally hit the point where my give a damn is broken yeah. about all the stuff. And I think as technologically advanced as I'm going to get with the kids is Instagram. And that's probably it. Yeah. Well, anything past an Instagram story, I, I'm pretty much that's that's it. That's about as far as I'll go at this point. I don't have time for TikTok. I don't I, I don't know. I I sound like get off my lawn guy, but I'm, I'm 43 years old. I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am. You guys want to go make TikToks about your day and your meal? Have at it. I'll get you out of here on stuff you are more comfortable with. Um, The Masters. Can you accurately predict a Masters winner? And I think if you could do that, it would make up for your lack of knowledge about the Alliance and NFTs. There are two guys I'm keeping an eye on that I think are going to have something to say about it. Um, And having said that, we're taping this on Monday. The players uh, leaked over into Monday. I Last time I checked, Cam Smith was leading. Cam Smith's one of my guys that I think is going to be a factor at the, at Augusta. The other guy is Victor Hovland. Hmm. I think if Victor Hovland can figure out the putting, if he can get the short game under control, putting is paramount at Augusta national, the way that he drives the ball, his ball flight is perfect for that course. I like Victor Hovland to put on the green jacket. That's my official pick. Now I reserve the right to change it between now and Augusta, but right now, as far as we know, Victor Hovland's my guy. I don't hate that. A mid-March master's prediction. There is nothing about that. Yeah, Yeah, you need to change up if you want. Uh, We'll we'll end today talking about uh, your bucket list. You've done the master's uh, a bunch, obviously. You've been to Augusta. You've been to national championships. I got to imagine you've seen so much now that your bucket list is more of just getting to see your teams, your specific teams play for national titles. Yeah, you know, Arizona State's a long way from that. Um, Your words and mine. But but, uh, look, you're right. With with this career, I've just been so fortunate. Even before ESPN, I worked in Dallas. 
uh, for five years at the NBC station, traveled with the Cowboys. When I was there, the Mavs won the championship. I uh, went to two Super Bowls. The Arlington hosted the one. Uh, the Green Bay, I think it was Green Bay and, and uh, no, no, it was Pittsburgh and New England. Who was that? Why am I feeling so old now? Either way, Arlington hosted Super Bowl. Then I was at the Super Bowl in Indy. So I've done a lot of great things. But yeah, bucket list, I think eventually would like, for instance, I would love to see the Suns win the NBA title this year. I grew up a Suns fan. They were the only pro sports team we had growing up in Arizona until we got the Cardinals in the late 80s. And so seeing the Suns um, do it for Al McCoy, the legendary play-by-play guy, the Suns, little things like that at this stage in my career uh, would be fun because, yeah, you, you do a lot. I mean, they're still broadcasting bucket lists. I, I, I want to cross off uh, and, and still being involved in some of these major championships in, in the college football world, but you hit it. Like seeing your teams now win the big one, thought the Cardinals had it when Kurt Warner left the field and then Santonio Holmes, the great catch in the end zone, Jake Plummer. I was at that Rose bowl against Ohio state. Had we won that game, we win the national championship. Yep. Um, I've had my heart broken enough to, to at least one of these years, let me cry tears of victory and, and not these tears of heartache. I think Kyler Murray is going to give you tears of uh, joy and Man, I, not heartache. I, I don't know. Well, I don't know what's going on there. The Cardinal, I, I don't know. Look, they, the way that they finished the season, they had a hell of a year. Um, they're frustrating. I mean, they, that's a frustrating team. It's a good team. Uh, but, but Kyler, I'll be interested to see how the organization handles that one. Because he wants his contract. He's still under contract. But the way the world now in the NFL is pay your guy early so you don't have to pay him late. $50 million just to, I, I don't know the terms of your deal. I'm going to assume he wants a hair more than what you got from ESPN. Just, just throwing that out there. No, 50 million. I, I got 50 million. <laughs> I got, I got, I got 50 million every year uh, for three years, 150 mil sign it up. <laughs> got that um, fine bomb money. <laughs> yes. I know. Yeah. Right. So I, I'm, I'm going to need, maybe I'll need Kyler's agent next time to come in and negotiate for mine, even though Jim Ornstein agent to the stars, is a great guy. If, if Kyler gets that kind of money, maybe we can work something out. Yeah, this has been great, man. Uh, congrats on the new deal. Con, I appreciate you guys. You know, I love your guys' work. Love what you guys do for the sport, uh, especially come Saturdays in the fall. There's nothing like it. So uh, anytime you want to hop on and talk ball, I'm here. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. All right, man. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our guy, Adam Spencer. The brackets are out by now. So many of these have been filled out. Adam, please. Please, please, please. We don't agree on anything when it comes to sports teams. I mean, it is bad. It's really bad. But please tell me that you are a one bracket guy. I, I do like to have the one bracket. The only the, like I, I'll pick the same champion and same final four in every bracket. Sometimes like if I do a second one when I don't have my first one in front of me, I'll accidentally pick some different ones. Okay. But I always I always have the same final four and same champion just to stick. You know, and usually the same elite eight because I can remember those even when somebody else thrusts a bracket in front of me and is like, here, fill this one out. So, yeah, but sometimes some of those uh, first and second round games, I, I end up switching it up a little bit. Yeah, like you want to mix up an eight, nine or whatever. You just kind of forget. Understandable. I, I just can't stand the three different brackets. This was my head. This was my heart. And this was my fun bracket. <laughs> 
God, it just nauseates me. I saw, I saw our guy PB throw that out there on Twitter and I took me everything in, in me not to send him a text, basically calling him every rotten name in the book. But I just think that March is so much better when you just have the one bracket, you live by it, you die by it. Or if you want to gamble on each game, I guess it's a little bit different, but well, that's, that's, uh, that's easy for you to say when, your bracket last year included Houston and Gonzaga and Baylor in the final four. And you predicted Baylor over Gonzaga. Yeah. It's fun to root for that bracket. <laughs> you brought this up. I didn't bring this up. Let the record show that it's never going to happen again it, ever. I mean, that's, that's the tough thing about, about coming off of the high that was my 2021 bracket is I have accepted that there is no way that I will ever replicate anything quite like that. It is in the past. My best back bracket days are, are absolutely gone. And this year I'm going to come crashing down to earth. It's going to be really, really ugly. Um, before we get into the teams who actually did make the field, we both have a lot of thoughts on AM. Console AM fans here. They got screwed. I mean, how egregious was the slight to leave that team out of the field with how well they played down the stretch? It's just clear that the NCAA tournament committee, like maybe they thought that the, that the SEC tournament wasn't happening this year because it wasn't in Nashville. Maybe they just didn't. Sure. They didn't send any, they sent somebody to Nashville and uh, they didn't have anybody in Tampa or something. Like, I, I don't know what the deal was because like, there's no reason Tennessee shouldn't be a two seed. If, if anything, I mean, I think the SEC should have had uh, three, two seeds. And I think that Tennessee was the strongest of all of them, if anything. And then uh, if you don't bump, I think Duke should have been bumped down to a three seed. We're going to do that in, in coach K's final year though, for whatever reason. But uh and then if, if, but if you keep Duke on the two line, I think Auburn was more susceptible to being bumped down uh, to, to a three than, than Tennessee or Kentucky was out of the SEC. So just a swing and a miss there. And then, yeah. And then Texas A&M goes on that magical run. They have 22 wins. Like I know that on the bubble every year, there's, you know, the people who, there's eight teams that think that they belong in the tournament. It's like, okay, but then you have to take eight teams out, but there's a very obvious answer this year. You take Notre Dame out. They yes. left head to head to, te to Texas A&M and I broke it down on Twitter the other day. They were below Texas A&M and net, which the NCAA tournament committee says matters so importantly. Allegedly. They, they had twice the quad one wins that Notre Dame had, which the NCAA tournament committee says matters a great deal. Uh, you know, they, they had, they had a longer run in their conference tournament. They had a better overall record. It's just, it, you just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm still fired up about it this morning. Not even a Texas A&M fan, but uh, you know, I, they have a lot of reasons to, uh, to really hate every selection committee out there these days. I think we both were part of the effort to bully Joe Lenardi into putting A&M in his final field and go figure that Joe Lenardi was initially right by leaving A&M out. And then he ends up being wrong in the end because he put them in his field as his final, his final uh, group of 64, 68, whatever you want to call it. But what we're trying to figure out here is what did the selection committee actually value? 
Because if quad one wins, quad two wins, if, if it wasn't just all about that, which, you know, you could point to a lot of different metrics there. And I've seen the, the Duke Tennessee breakdown and how that really falls apart in a hurry. Like everybody's just kind of left wondering, well, if the conference tournaments didn't matter, then surely you could point to some of those games that happened in November that maybe we forget about. And you look at what happened head to head with Notre Dame with AM, and if it didn't matter there, like, what ultimately do you think they sat down and decided was the most important factor for this field? Um, I think that, I mean, honestly, I think that they did really value, you know, the, the quad one wins. Like I was happy to see, you know, in the net rankings, Houston was like number three all year, even though they like, they might've, you know, the net rankings change like every day, but, uh, you know, Houston at one point, very late in the season, entering the conference tournament had zero quad one wins. So I was glad to see them fall to a five seed because, you know, a lot of early season projections had them as like a two or even a three seed. Uh, so I, I, and I do think like, that's what makes it so baffling about Texas A&M though, is that I do feel like they valued quad one wins above a lot of things. That's why Rutgers got into the field. That's why Michigan got into the field. That's why, that's why uh, your Hoosiers got into the field. It's because they, pick up quad one wins and but A&M had more than Notre Dame Notre Dame didn't pick up quad one wins so that's that's just why it's so frustrating and the worst part for a and for A&M fans is that they were the fourth team out like if they were the first team out you could say well they were in until Richmond won the A-10 and stole that bid and then you know then Texas A&M fans you know aren't mad at the committee they're mad at Davidson for choking that away but to have them as the fourth team out Brutal. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. So I, I it just, it just wasn't consistent. Yeah. Like what did they value? I, I have no idea. <laughs> if a and had made the field, I would have been really tempted to put the Aggies in the sweet 16 because you saw against better competition, or at least those of us who watched the SEC tournament and not necessarily the selection committee, we saw what they did to Auburn's guards. I mean, Katie Johnson looked lost, totally lost. J.D. Note. Guy has single digit points for the single digit points in his first game all year. And we've seen how how consistent he's been and how he can take over these games. It, it feels like AM kind of might have actually did the SEC a favor, though, in a weird way, because they exposed those things. And not that Auburn wasn't flawed coming into that, but let's start with Auburn there. It's been rough. Uh, let's let's call it what it is. It, it's been a really mediocre team for a month, at least it feels like. And Water appears to have found its level on the plains. Bruce Pearl is now tasked with trying to adjust on the fly. And I, I just have such limited confidence in this team because we've seen the way that they can play down a competition and it has got to be so frustrating to watch. It's just no easy wins. You were at the PAC 12 tournament this past weekend in Vegas. I absolutely could see USC upsetting Auburn in the round of 32. How do you see that playing out? And is that how Auburn season ends? I wasn't necessarily as impressed with USC. I mean, I, I think that they had, you know, they had a, a couple of uh, good games in there, but uh, they're, I was, I was very impressed with the guard that they have Boogie Ellis. I think that that's a Great name damn. that we're going to, that's a name that we're going to hear a lot about because I think he's a rising superstar. You know, he had like, they lost to UCLA, but he had like 27 or 29 points or something. And, you know, he was the only one, but that's, that's what worries me is that he was the only one doing anything that game against UCLA. So, you know, I think that USC gets past Miami and I agree with you that that's the second round matchup for Auburn, but uh, 
Like I just wasn't necessarily impressed with, uh, with Isaiah Mobley, this tournament, I wasn't impressed with USC's bigs that much. Um, so, you know, I think that Walker Kessler, as long as his shoulder, I mean, every day it's getting better. Right. So I, I think, I think that Auburn can make the sweet 16 run. And honestly, I think, you know, you'll be shocked to hear this, but I think we disagree on Auburn. Um, no way. You know, I, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I think, I think Wisconsin is very vulnerable if John oh, yeah. Davis isn't at full strength. Uh, and, and honestly, that would be a sweet 16 matchup. I can't wait to watch with Jabari Smith and Johnny Davis going head to head. I mean, that, that would be intense. Uh, and, and you know my feelings about Kansas. And uh, as a Mizzou guy, I, I will not pick – spoiler alert, I will not be having Kansas in my Final Four. Uh, we disagree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. So, I, I honestly think that Kansas is susceptible to San Diego State in the second round. And that's only partially uh, my homerism and anti-Kansas sentiment. But uh, I, I think Auburn – can turn this around. I think that, uh, you know, having Jabari Smith and uh, you know, they just, they just got to get like, honestly, th- that run that they went on at the end of that A&M game was what they should be. And, you know, Katie Johnson's not going to do what he did against A&M again. <laughs> I don't think uh, so. I'm more confident in Auburn, uh, but we can, uh, we can discuss that more when we get to that section of the bracket. Yeah, I mean, well, let's break this down for me because I, I haven't been as locked into Auburn all year in the way that you have. And I, I'm definitely more of a prisoner in the moment, admittedly so, and that's skewing my impression of them 100%. And I've seen this team who looks lost at times offensively and just looks like it has nowhere to go despite the fact that future number one overall pick is on that team. And it just seems like sometimes they don't really want to work through Walker Kessler. I don't know how much of that is the shoulder or how much of that is just, they, they have these guards who seem to like shooting even when they don't have any sort of rhythm whatsoever. If they played through Walker Kessler more, is that the way to kind of get through some of these issues? If they let him kind of go to work on the low block and they allow him to kind of facilitate and be that passer and allow kind of the motion to run through him a little bit more, is that the key to kind of turning this around or is it a, a different area where you feel like they can kind of make that tweak? Yeah, I definitely think that Kessler should be, like you said, as long as his shoulder is, is healthy, I think he should be more involved offensively. They should really prioritize getting him touches down low, especially in these sorts of games, you know, when they face USC, that's going to be a grinded out game when they face Wisconsin potentially, or LSU with LSU advances, that's a potential grinded out game, uh, a potential Kansas meeting, which I don't think will happen, but that would be another low scoring defensive game. Probably Iowa would be the only one that, you know, would, uh, would potentially be an up and down game. So they're in an interesting bracket, but uh, you know, I think, yeah, getting the ball to the post, whether it's to Walker Kessler or Jabari Smith, Jabari Smith. I think Jabari can, I would even have Jabari, you know, at, at the end of a recent game, I forget which one, I think it might've been the the Mississippi state game. The last shot before overtime was like kind of a desperation heave by Jabari Smith because they, they didn't get it to him until there was like 1.5 seconds left. So all he could do was just launch a three from way beyond the arc with two defenders on him. And, uh, and, so like, and Bruce Pearl's like, well, yeah, Jabari doesn't bring the ball down the court for us. So we have a little trouble getting in the ball in those in-game situations. And like, I'm just like, then let 
him bring the ball up the court he's, more. He's not a back to the basket player anyway. It's just why, why not let right. him be able to facilitate that sort of way? I agree with you. And uh, yeah. And so like, not, not every time, like not like a point forward situation like LeBron James, but just let him bring the ball up every now and then it's a nice change of pace, keeps the defense on its toes. And uh, you know, I just, I think that he, that Bruce Pearl needs to let Jabari do some, some of that. I think that they need to play all three guards together sometimes, but uh, I, I do think what gives me confidence is the way that Wendell green ended the Texas A&M game. Yeah. <laughs> like now he's confident. Like now they just need to get KD back on track and, and KD is a shooter. So, you know, he can go over 18 and he, he, he knows the next shot's going in, even if it doesn't, he knows it's going, like he has that confidence. So I think he'll be fine, but Wendell green should be feeling very confident going into this game. And, uh, so yeah, I, I I think that Auburn is going to be undervalued by a lot of people, and I think that they can make a deep run. Tennessee. Part of me wants to believe that Tennessee is about to, is about to embark on one of these deep runs, and Kennedy Chandler about to become you know the March darling. And then there's another part of me that worries we're about to see a little bit of like a 2016 Michigan State thing, where if you recall, 2016 Michigan State wins the Big Ten championship. It's Denzel Valentine, and everybody's stunned that they don't get the one seed, and then they blow it in the first round of that two fifteen matchup, and we're just scratching our heads wondering, did they pay too much attention to that to the 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 seeding instead of the actual matchup itself? And that's going to be a popular topic of conversation with Tennessee this week. But what do you think is is more likely to be in store for this Tennessee team, which looks about like it's as hot as anyone in the country right now? I think that sometimes these teams that go on runs to uh to advance, you know, that win their conference tournament, I think that sometimes that they are a little worn out if they're, you know, I think Tennessee had some real battles in there. Uh, you know, I, you look at Illinois last year, you know, they, they won a hard fought big 10 tournament. You know, they really were so eager to do that because they had a Villanova Providence situation from this year, last year, where Michigan won the regular season title because, Illinois didn't get a chance to make up a game. And so Illinois wanted a piece of the big 10 title and then they took it personally and they went on a run in the big 10 tournament and won that title. But then they ran into Loyola Chicago in the second round. So, you know, and then you look at a team like Virginia tech this year, I think that teams that go on those deep conference tournament runs, I think that they, like by the time the sweet, they get to the sweet 16, sometimes the momentum runs out a little bit. And uh, so I would be careful with Tennessee, but I, I have them going to my elite eight. I think that that's where they, where they top out just because I think Arizona is so good. I find myself also hoping that Rick Barnes kind of has a quiet, the doubters type postseason as somebody who has had some well-documented struggles in March. Why has he been able to to tap into this team's identity where early on, man, I mean, some of those offensive droughts they would go through were just terrible. But why have they been able to kind of find exactly what works for them? And they've been so good in this last like month and a half here. I mean, I, you, you mentioned Kennedy Chandler becoming the March Madness darling. I mean, I, I think he's, he's playing like a lottery pick. That's, that's the, that's the simple answer there is that, uh, you know, Vescovy has been great all year. Uh, Chandler has had his ups and downs and he's looked like a freshman at times and he's looked like a lottery pick at times, but now he's more consistently looking like a lottery pick. But, uh, 
you know, those offensive struggles that you mentioned, you know, one game against Texas, they scored 51 points at Texas. Then a couple of weeks in like mid February, when they went to Arkansas, they scored 48 points. So like that's lurking there. And that's what worries me is that that sort of offensive performance is, is lurking. And it, it happens when Chandler has too many turnovers. It happens when, uh, when he gets too many shots blocked. Um, he has one of the best runners in the lane that of anybody in the country. But sometimes if teams take that away, then he makes freshman like mistakes, which is understandable because he's a freshman, but uh, you know, there's always that potential and that, that worries me against a potential, like a, like a very veteran team, like a Villanova, that would be a sweet 16 matchup. And uh, so, you know, we'll see about that, but I, I do like Tennessee this year, but that lurking offensive like drought where they go like three for 27 from beyond the arc. That, that worries me. Is Fulkerson terrible? That's a pretty basic question. Like he gets all this love, all this love. And I get it. Look, guy's been there forever. I'm pretty sure he was there when Chris Lofton was there. Like he's, he's been a guy who like Tennessee fans love every single time I watch him. I'm just kind of wondering like, all right, this guy that we hear so much about is coming off the bench now, different role. I get it. He's not, he's not ever going to be the primary scorer or anything like that. But I just kind of wonder sometimes, like, is he just sort of praised because of his personality, the fact that he's been there forever, like, and he's kind of got this quirky style or am I just not seeing something? I think that the team two years ago when he had his like really, really good year, I think that that team was, like built to optimize his success. And I think he took advantage of that. And I think that, you know, I, I think that in the right situation, he is a good player. I just don't know that he necessarily fits with what a big man needs to be in this particular Tennessee team. Cause he doesn't shoot the three very well. Right. Like if they had, and neither does Plavsic or, you know, like they just don't have a, a big who, or who shoots, the three really well. And I think that that would really take them over the top here. Um, especially if like he came in off the bench in the John Fulkerson role now and could space the floor that way and shoot the three. Uh, but you know, I, and he's not, he's not a rim protector necessarily like, like Adu or, uh, or Plavsic. So like, he's just, he's just a, a strange fit for this year's team. And it was for last year's team too. I just, he so he maxed out a couple of years ago when he was on a team that was that was better suited for him and uh you know could could handle his uh his just Tennessee the way that they're built these days they just don't go like iso in the post all that much to him and that's where he does his best work so it's just a it's just a strange fit and i and i think you know if if they need to they can call a play that he can get a good look on, but he's just not doing that consistently like he was a couple seasons ago. Everyone's talking about Tennessee and A&M getting a raw deal by the selection committee. I think Arkansas getting sent up to Buffalo to face potentially two teams, lower seeded teams who are from the Northeast in those first two games is a really daunting draw, especially when you have Gonzaga potentially waiting there in the sweet 16 is, is Arkansas good enough to overcome that? I think they're, good enough to to get to the sweet 16 yeah i i think connecticut is honestly 
vulnerable to New Mexico State in the first round. I'm not picking that upset, but I do think that New Mexico State is a team to potentially watch. Um, Vermont, yeah, you're right. Vermont's tough. Uh, They were the number one seed in their conference tournament. They just cruised. And so, you know, but I, I do think Arkansas is going to be prepared for that after the scare that Colgate gave them in round yeah. one last year. I think that that was important. You know, JD Note was there for that. Jalen Williams was there for that. These guys, these guys know that the, the leaders of the team know that they can't just sleepwalk through that four thirteen matchup. And, uh, and so, yes, I think Vermont is a very tough team, but Arkansas will be ready this year. And uh, JD Note is going to be, on one i'm sure to be to prove that like that fluke against uh against texas a&m was just that just a fluke kentucky feels like it's been building toward a deep run for a while now and as long as ty ty washington can keep that ankle healthy kind of feels like a final four team every time this year that they have struggled with with anything it kind of feels like a one-off and it feels like you can justify it because it usually happens against the team very oftentimes it's happening on the road and you know you've had like bad shooting day against tennessee uh, mid-game injury against arkansas incredibly slow offensive start against um or, or against arkansas was the the mid or was the slow offensive start and then the mid-game injury was against auburn excuse me there can you talk me out of kentucky making a run of the title game or would you rather just make me feel better about that Okay, we agree on something. Then here we go. So, <laughs> so Kentucky, I think, is in the the easiest group to get out of because I think, I mean, Baylor deserves to be a one seed, but this current iteration of Baylor is not one seed worthy because they're so banged up. They've got like two key players out who I don't. I know one of them is not coming back for March Madness. Um, I, I'm not sure about the other one, but this is a banged up team. Uh, and you know, we've seen that they lost early in the, in the big 12 tournament. And, uh, I, I just think that this is a group that, you know, Purdue is an exciting team, but they don't play a whole lot of defense. And, uh, you know, Kentucky has the guys to Kentucky does play defense. And so, you know, they have the, they have, you know, Oscar against Zach Eady in the paint is going to be a battle. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and, but like, Ty Ty Washington against Jaden Ivey. I mean, Ty Ty is his defense is vastly underrated. Uh, he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the entire country um, when he's fully healthy. And, uh, you know, so he, nobody can stop Jaden Ivey, but I think that he can limit the damage and do some on his own on the offensive end because, because Purdue wouldn't be playing that much defense. Um, so I think that that's a really intriguing sweet 16. And then I, I have, I have Baylor being the first one seed to drop. I have them losing to North Carolina in the second round. And then, I, yeah. And I have Kentucky, um, I have Kentucky beating UCLA in that region final to, uh, to head, to head to, uh, to new Orleans because, you know, UCLA, that's a tough draw for them heading to Philly um, for, for that, for that region. And so I, I think Kentucky gets out of that group and I think that they look good doing it. And, uh, and yeah, so then, then are we ready for our, for our final four talk? I'm really tempted. I, okay. Real, real quick though. If Cal misses the final four this year, which I'm not saying it's going to happen. I think it'll be deflating in a different sort of way for Kentucky fans because seven years without a final four in Lexington is a long time. It isn't for most programs, but for Kentucky, it's just a little bit different and not getting there with this team 
who has been so beloved by Kentucky fans. I mean, they, they truly have, have, have loved the identity of this team because it's not just the one and done. It's transfers. Like these guys seem to really have this, this different sort of energy. Like it's, it's just a lot easier to root for. They play defense, the whole thing, but Correct me if I'm wrong here. Would it be fair to consider it a knock on Cal's legacy, as random as the tournament is, if they don't get to a Final Four with this team? Yeah, I think I think it would be fair to call it a knock on his legacy, as long as you you know also acknowledge that he still has a legacy and is still you know one yeah. of the best coaches. But yeah, it would be not great if Kentucky doesn't make the Final Four this year. Like I said, Baylor's a vulnerable number one seed. Uh, there's no reason for them not to. And you're right. Oscar is perhaps the most beloved Kentucky player of a, <laughs> of the last decade. And, uh, you know, Ty Ty is a very popular guy. Kellen Grady seems to be really liked. Davion Mintz is popular in Lexington. Um, so, you know, th- this team has a lot of likable guys and, uh, and, you know, they play well together. They have fun doing it. And uh, so, yeah, I think that, I think that they, they are under pressure to make the final four this year for sure. Okay, before we get to predictions, Alabama and LSU, um, none of us know what to expect. We just don't. Uh, I'm sure even the the guys in that locker room don't even know what to fully expect. Everything with both of those teams feels like a dart throw. My Indiana brain went back to the 2007-2018 that lost Calvin Sampson midseason and then got that first-round exit where really the last month of the season they were just a dumpster fire. And LSU, different timetable, but that's what they're trying to avoid. And Bama, of course, about as herky-jerky of a season as you can possibly have. Who has the better chance of winning a first-round game between those two? Um, LSU. Uh, yeah, I, I think that I think that Alabama, if they, if Notre Dame wins that playing game, I'll pick Alabama to advance. Uh, but if Rutgers wins that game, then I, I might pick Rutgers to advance just because Rutgers has uh, the big 10 play, defensive player of the year. Uh, I think the, the guard that shut down Johnny Davis. And so if they just have him follow Jaden Shackelford around, it's going to make for a long night. And uh, when Jack, when Shackelford doesn't, shoot well Alabama is very vulnerable uh so I I might if Rutgers wins that playing game I have Alabama losing in the in the first round LSU I think gets past their first round game I you know it's it's not a given because it's tough to tell how these teams will respond but Iowa State like we talked about Tennessee Tennessee has had that like 51 point game uh in a 48 point game well Iowa State has had two 41 point games in like a 38 point game 38 points in a full game of, of college basketball is just insane. So they are in LSU plays good defense. As we know, like when they're fully healthy, they play really good defense. I mean, I think Iowa state will wait or not. I think Iowa state is in very big trouble of scoring in the low forties again against the tigers. So I think I, I I'm confident LSU moves on. I made the stupid decision to put Iowa State in my Sweet 16. Might have to go back on that. Because um, I also – I got Wisconsin losing in the first round of Colgate um, just because Colgate, that first half last year against Arkansas, I'm a believer. I'm still riding high off that. And then the Johnny Davis thing, of course, like if they're going to lose to a team like Nebraska, you just don't know what the floor is for a team like Wisconsin. But, um, okay, I feel terrible about that pick. Let's do um, the, all the cliche questions here for you. Cinderella team is who? I think South Dakota State gets past 
gets past Providence, but uh, the the I, I think I think UAB has a chance to be the Cinderella team. Mm. Uh, Andy Kennedy is a heck of a coach. Uh, Houston is just so banged up, so they're a very vulnerable five seed. And as much as I love Illinois being from Illinois, and as much as I really really want a Sweet Sixteen between. Well, as much as I as much as I really love Arizona and Illinois and the idea of those two meeting in the Sweet 16 again, you know, t- 2005, that game yep. was the highlight of my Illinois fandom. But uh, I would think that UAB has a has a shot against Illinois because we saw what Illinois did against Loyola Chicago last year. So, you know, this this and these are a lot of the same players just without uh, without Io DeSunmu. And that, that's that's setting the table for a team like UAB, which is a very good team, very well coached to potentially pull off that upset. If Illinois looks ahead and, and feels the pressure of uh, wanting to take down Arizona in epic fashion again. I feel like every time San Diego state comes up, we have to make a Mike Dom reference. I actually covered Mike Dom when he was in high school and he was unbelievable and he would just make it freaking rain. You're like, who is this kid? He's like the slowest kid on the floor, but he was just you know, six, nine or whatever he was. And he goes off to South Dakota state and just totally just sets every record imaginable. Like I, I'm, I'm still convinced that when South, South Dakota state takes the floor, that Mike Dom will walk out there <laughs> and he'll put up 20 and it'll be no big deal. Um, biggest first round upset. I think we just hinted at it right there. Do you have another one? Yep. Uh, That's, that's the one that I have as the, but like, I, I don't hate your Colgate prediction. I think that that is a dangerous team there. I am not picking that upset, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I'm also a believer in, uh, in San Francisco. I think that the Murray state Mm. hype, like, yes, the Murray state's a very good team, but like they didn't, they didn't do it against, top competition san francisco you know play they're also a mid-major but they played uh in a team it, like this like people always love to say oh uh, west coast conference gonzaga doesn't play anybody that wasn't true this year you know that just, just wasn't true byu was a fringe ncaa team uh you know san francisco's in gonzaga's obviously in st mary's is a very dangerous five seed um and and Santa Clara was even really good. They're in the NIT this year and they were like the three seed in the conference tournament or something. So, you know, Gonzaga was tested. San Francisco was tested. Um, and I, I mean, I really want, I really want Todd Golden as Mizzou's next coach. So um, I'm, I'm going to be watching that game closely. They have a, they have a, a kid named Shabazz. Who's really, who's really good. Uh, who I think is going to say no more. This, Sold. This, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I have them beating Murray State, and then I think that that's that's a tough game for for Kentucky in the second round potentially. Um, before I mean, I think Kentucky obviously wins as we had said, but uh, I think that that's that's a good first round pick if you're looking for a seven ten upset. Last SEC team standing, Kentucky. Yeah. Okay. Not going Auburn. Can't go that. Can't go to that level, especially after seeing the way that they've struggled down the stretch, because that could that would really blow up. I, I think in, in your face potentially, that would just terrify me to put up to, to pencil in Auburn international championship, like we were talking about maybe you know three four weeks ago. Um, all right, let's do let's do Final Four because we've gotten I feel like we've gotten a piece of it. I know you don't have Kansas in there. Um, okay, so that means you got Kentucky. I'm not going to try and guess this. Never mind. You go ahead. Okay, my two one seeds, I have the top two seeds. I've got Gonzaga and Arizona going to the final four. 
Uh, and then I have two SEC teams. I have Kentucky, mm. and I have I have Auburn beating Iowa to advance to the Final Four. Wow. I think Iowa. I think Iowa is the team that takes down Kansas, just because, like, just watching Keegan Murray this past week, love his game. Um, but yeah, I think Auburn. So I have I have Arizona and Auburn in one semifinal, and Gonzaga and Kentucky in the other. Really hope for Iowa's sake that the bank is open. Um, in the NCAA tournament. Not bitter about that at all. National champ, who you got? Uh, so, interestingly enough, dating back to 2012, uh, every when I picked Kentucky to win it all, and I was on the money there, I've picked Kentucky to win it all three times since then. And so, including that year, four times I've picked Kentucky to win it all. Those are the only four times since 2012 that I've won my bracket challenges. Even though Kentucky obviously hasn't won the title in those years, um, you know, I outside of 2012. But uh, even though like every time I pick Kentucky to win for whatever reason, I do really well in the rest of the bracket. So, uh, it, but this year, I honestly think Kentucky has what it takes to get the job done. I think that they would be, you know, watch it having watched uh, Arizona this past weekend. I think that Kentucky is the sort of team that can get the job done uh yeah i think i think oscar is uh is a little more physical than uh than christian coloco down in the paint so those two kind of cancel each other out a little bit i think uh benedict matherin uh, in arizona he's a really really good player he's going to be a lottery pick um but i think ty ty washington again we talked about how underrated his defense is so i think that that's you know almost a wash there uh you know arizona they should have their point guard kirk Creasa back by then but uh you know we'll see high ankle sprains are tricky tricky business so uh you know i think that severe wheeler is an interesting player if uh if if arizona doesn't have kirk Risa back at full strength and uh so i i just really like they need kellen grady to get going yeah like, he can't shoot the way he shot the past like like the last like four or three or four games that he's played uh they need him back in business, but I think maybe having a few days off here over the weekend and this week will help him get going, get his legs under him again and, uh, and get going. So I have Kentucky taking down Arizona in, in the championship game. What about you? Interested in your pick now. What if I told you? No. Um, <laughs> as of, as of right now, my very preliminary, very preliminary bracket I have Kansas beating Kentucky in the national championship. It would only be right because we agree on nothing that I had Kansas winning a national championship. I feel like I am the same way in terms of winning bracket pools with Kansas winning it all, or at least I kind of thought I was. And then I thought back and I was like, wait a minute. Um, the Northern Iowa thing, when that happened, Ali for Manesh, I had Kansas winning all that year. I'm pretty sure I picked him to win it all in like 2014 or something like that. That blew up in my face. Um, Kansas might actually be my kryptonite, if anything. <laughs> and I am uh, I, I'm in absolutely bad shape this year. I, I feel it coming. I sense it. I, 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 I absolutely know that the odds of me even predicting one correct team in a championship slim to none. So I think that actually bodes poorly for Kentucky at this point, but I have been talked into Kentucky getting to a national championship and having a final four, which includes also Illinois, go figure. Then Kofi Coburn, 
turns it around. I think I, I love the bounce back narrative. I think I'm holding on to Virginia so much. I'm, I'm like just selling myself on look lightning can't strike twice with a team like that. Usually you don't necessarily see like that, that massive upset year to year. I go back to the Bill, Villanova thing where it was a Nigel Hayes had that play under the basket for Wisconsin back in 2016. And then the next year Villanova goes all the way and wins, wins the title. Like I'm big on the bounce back narrative. So I guess Kentucky's part of that didn't go to NCAA tournament from anywhere close to last year, but that's what I have sold myself on this year. See what I did there? Sold myself. See? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, am, am I crazy for thinking that Kansas can make a run here? Or am I just pretty much defaulting to um, my old comfort zone and just doing the thing where I just pick the blue blood who's the one seed? Um, well, I'm hoping that Kansas loses early, maybe to San Diego State, and then maybe you'll join me on the on the anti-Kansas bandwagon here. There's there's plenty of room. Uh, so you know, <laughs> still got, um, so you know, I, I don't. I mean. I might have you cut this later, but I do think Kansas is a good team. Uh, Ochai Igbaji is a, is a very good player. They have the depth. Um, so I, it wouldn't surprise me to see them make a final four. Um, I won't be picking it. I, I, I just don't have it in me. Um, I'd rather lose my bracket than pick Kansas to the final four. So, um, but it's not crazy. Um, Maybe it would be crazy if you pick them to win it all, but you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't think that they, but you know, Kentucky is my pick and I feel good about that. I can, I can stay in the Mizzou fandom with a, with a Kentucky pick and uh, not picking Kansas to the final four. So. I, I saw what you did by the way with, with uh, blue chip grit, go, go subscribe to that. The basketball newsletter is going to help you win your bracket pool. Go do that. Shameless plug. I saw what you did though, by putting Kansas as like one of your trending teams trending in the right direction. Very, very savvy move on your part to pay them a few compliments right before the tournament. You're doing, you're doing your little jinx thing. I, I know it. I, I could see right through it. I could see it there. You're giving, you're giving the Jayhawks their, their love and understandably so because they won the big 12 tournament. People respect the big 12, of course, but I just, I see right through it and I know what you're doing. And, you know, I think we'll just well, agree to disagree on one more thing. That was a section that uh, Spencer Davis, who runs our ACC site, uh, uh, Saturday road, he put that section together, but when he, sure but, he did, Adam. Me, but, but when he, but when he pitched me <laughs> Kansas as a team with its stock up, I was like, you know, that Jack Nicholson gift. I was like, <laughs> yes, bring the, bring the evil upon the Jayhawks. Yes. Let's talk them up. I, yeah, I certainly didn't try to stop him from writing that section. So <laughs> Adam, it's been great, man. Everyone go check out starting five, go subscribe to blue chip grit. Appreciate the time, man. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's hope our brackets make it to the second weekend here. Seriously, man. The plan for later in the week, we are going to be joined by all American running back guy who's getting ready for the NFL draft. So stay tuned for that. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. If you have not already, go subscribe to Blue Chip Grit. As I was talking about with Adam Spencer, go subscribe to the Saturday Down South YouTube channel as well. Great, great stuff that we've been cranking out over there. Um, if you have not, join the Facebook group here named Red On Air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Enjoy more madness. We'll talk soon.